Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy would come to make you new? That this child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you- Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Stop it! Excuse me? I am so sick of that song. You can't walk into a grocery store this time of year without being assaulted by some cloying, melodramatic rendition by Beyonce or Michael Bublé or those acapella people. Bro, were you playing Mary, did you know? Ah, oh, that's like the most beautiful song. And it's so deep. It's like, Mary, did you know? And then it's like, did you deliver the baby? And then like the baby delivered you. Like the word deliver means two different things. Matt, it's like so deep. Every Christmas Eve at midnight mass, my mom, Susan, you know, she's on the parish council. She sings this as a solo every year. And that's really like the reason people come to mass is just to hear how beautiful this song is. You must be joking. This saccharine pile of Dog vomit isn't appropriate for department store, much less the sacred holy sacrifice of the mass. It's mansplaining the Magnificat to the Blessed Mother, not to mention it denies the ex cathedra infallibly declared dogma of the Immaculate Conception of Our Lady. It has no place in liturgy or polite society. Uh, sir, this is a Wendy's. I'm gonna need you to take several seats because this tune is totally based. Guys, guys. Relax. It's going to be okay because this sort of conversation at the intersection of what's trending and what's holy is exactly what this show is all about. Welcome to Pop Culture Catechism, conversations about music, movies, and the longings of the human heart. Let's get started. What did Mary, the mother of Jesus, know? about her circumstances and what was going on. What did she know about herself? What did she know about Jesus? What did she know about the crazy events that were happening? These don't really sound like very controversial questions. I mean, I think a lot of times if we read the scriptures or listen to the scriptures or go to mass and hear the readings, a lot of times we might wonder about the people going through those events. Like, what did they really have any sense of what was going on at the time? And yet this song, Mary, Did You Know?, it's always a hot topic this time of year. I have a friend who has a t-shirt that just says Mary knew because she really doesn't like this song. She thinks it's obvious what Mary knew. I have seen memes where some one, another one of my friends sent me a meme. It's just like, this is the answer to Mary. Did you know? It's like, yes, no, no, yes, 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 no. And it just kind of goes through each line of the songs and says yes or no. And I am part of a group where it's a bunch of different music directors who do music at churches and somebody posted a fake version of this song, like a, a takeoff on it where it was like, Mary freaking knew, read Luke to you fool. And so there's all these very strong reactions, especially in Catholic circles, but even in non-Catholic Christian circles uh, to this song. But yet other people really like the song. It really means a lot to them. It's like a tradition at their church. It's, it's one of their favorite songs. And there's certainly a ton of pop versions of it. So we're going to dive into all that today. 
This episode of Pop Culture Catechism is a little bit different than you may be used to. Normally, I have a guest and we pick something from pop culture and we talk about what it has to do with our lives and the gospel and everything. Today is a solo episode. I've only done a few of these, so it should be a little bit shorter. And it's just me and kind of my opinion on this thing. If you don't know who I am and why you should listen to my opinion, well, I don't know if you should listen to my opinion, but my name is Mike Tenney. I'm a Catholic speaker and worship leader from Washington, D.C. I spent over a decade teaching in Catholic high schools teaching theology, and also at the same time trying to make it big as a rock star at night. And now I'm blessed to speak to thousands of people each year through events and leading worship and giving talks all over the place and through this show, Pop Culture Catechism. This is Pop Culture Catechism. It's the gospel according to pop music and movies where we take a deep dive into the music and the movies and the media that we're plugged into. So then when we unplug and go out in the real world, we can have some deeper appreciation for God's love for us and how to share that with other people. So that's our promise for you by the end of this episode is you're going to be able to walk away from this conversation with some practical advice for your spiritual walk and how to know God's love and peace in your heart and how to share that with the people around you. I want to give a special thank you to all of our patrons who support this show and make that possible through going to popculturecatechism.com where you can become a patron. And also uh, catholicmerch.store, which is part of the, the merch side of Awaken Catholic and everything you buy there, all the awesome Catholic swag you can buy for, you know, if you have uh, confirmation coming up in your family, you need to buy something. All those stuff supports the shows here at Awaken Catholic. All right. So today's topic is just no, no guests today, just me and my eggnog with a little bit of fireball whiskey in it. I don't normally get to uh, do solo episodes like this. So this will be a little adventure for all of us. This song was written by a guy named Mark Lowry in 1984 for a Christmas service at his church. And it wasn't until a few years later in 1991 when a guy named Buddy Green, I think, helped him put it to music. Now, Mark, who wrote the lyrics, is more of like a poem, I think. He was a member of a very famous Christian group called the Gaither Vocal Band. Probably their most famous song is called Because He Lives. Matt Marr kind of did a a remix version of it a few years back. And that's where this song first started to become a thing in the early 90s. And since then, everybody under the sun has covered it. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to read through the lyrics, and then we're going to look in the scriptures at specifically at the first two chapters of the Gospel of Luke to try to figure out what did Mary know? So here's the lyrics. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to make you new, that the child that you delivered will soon deliver you? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to a blind man? Did you know your baby boy will calm the storm with his hand? Did you know your baby boy has walked where angels trod? When you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Mary, did you know? The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again. The lame will leak, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the lamb. Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Did you know your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? That sleeping child you're holding is the great I am. So first of all, well, now we're going to take a look at what Mary actually knew. So in Luke chapter one, when the angel comes to Mary, the angel Gabriel appears to her and this is what he tells her 
about the child in her womb. He will be great and he will be called son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his David, of David, his father, and he will rule over the house of Jacob forever in his kingdom and of his kingdom, there will be no end. But Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I have no relations with a man? Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Now, a couple other things give us a little bit of a clue into what Mary knew. Of course, there's her famous song when at, a little bit later she goes to visit, and it's called The Visitation, where she goes to visit her cousin, Elizabeth, who is pregnant with John the Baptist. She's a much older woman. Mary is probably very young, probably 13, 14, 15, somewhere in there is the age that uh, young Jewish women in that time were betrothed. And after she meets and visits Elizabeth, she sings this song called the Magnificat. And Mary said, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked upon his handmaid's lowliness. Behold, from now on, all ages will call me blessed. The mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is from age to age to those who fear him. He has shown might with his arm, dispersed the arrogant of mind and heart. He has thrown down the rulers from their thrones, but lifted up the lowly. The hungry he has filled with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, according to his promise to our fathers, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. So that's kind of what we know of what Mary knew. Now, after that, there's the presentation in the temple. She takes Jesus to get circumcised. And there's a prophet there in the temple named Simeon and a prophetess named Anna, who both reveal a few things to her about Jesus. So let's go through these questions. Did Mary know that Jesus would one day walk on water? Doesn't say anything about that in Luke 1 or 2. I mean, maybe she would have known that he was, as the son of God, might have done some miracles, but specifically walk on water. Probably didn't know that. Would save our sons and daughters? I'm going to throw this in the maybe column. It says he's come to save his servant Israel, but what what is the understanding here of save? Us, in the year 2023, looking back with 2,000 years of Christian theology, we understand that Jesus came to save us from our sin. He came to establish the kingdom of God. He came to show us a new way to live in this world, a way to live heavenly lives in the here and now, and to, to know him, love him, and serve him in this life, and be happy with him in the next, as the, the famous phrase from the Baltimore Catechism goes. But what did they mean in the early days? What were the Jews expecting from their Messiah? Most of the Jews were expecting a military leader, someone to come in and kick out the Romans. What did it mean in the book of Judges when Samson or Gideon or any of the judges, when they were a savior for Israel, it meant they kicked out the people that were oppressing them, the Edomites or the Canaanites or whoever it happened, the Philistines, whoever it happened to be. Oh, how did Moses save the people from the Egyptians? He threw plagues on them, drowned them in the Red Sea. How did David save them from the Philistines? He threw a rock and hit Goliath in the head. How did Judas Maccabeus save the people from the Greeks? He fought them in battle and won. And so we have to listen with slightly different ears. How Mary would have heard this is probably meant, hey, this kid's going to kick out the Romans. That's probably how 
the vast majority of people in Jesus's day, the Jews would have heard this. And especially Mary being young, we don't know how educated Mary was. We don't know if she could read. We don't know if she was reading the Torah. Um, some of that stuff has some you know, traditions that have been passed down about Mary's life and where she came from, but we don't know any of that really for sure. So did she know she, he was going to save us? Maybe in some sense, but probably not in the way that we understand it now. Has come to make you new. Again, the Jews didn't understand the Messiah primarily as coming to save them from their own sin and to make you new to, to, to redeem you. I'm not sure that's something a 13, 14 year old young Jewish girl from the middle of nowhere, Nazareth, Nazareth was kind of like the middle of nowhere. Like we even hear people saying when they, when Jesus comes to like Nazareth, what good can come from Nazareth? Like he's kind of from the boondocks. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's highly suspect what Mary would have known and what her understanding of the theology behind this would have been. Now, this line is where a lot of people get upset because they say it denies the immaculate conception of Mary. Now, the doctrine or the dogma, you might say, um, of the Immaculate Conception is a belief in Catholicism and in the Orthodox Church and the Coptic Church and, and um, some other churches that Mary was conceived without original sin. So uh, there's four there, there's four people in Catholic belief who have been conceived without sin: Adam, Eve, Jesus, Mary. All Christians agree about three of those. They all agree about Jesus, Adam, and Eve. And then Adam and Eve fell to sin, but they weren't, they didn't inherit sin. They didn't have this darkening of intellect, this weakening of will. They didn't, they weren't born with like a somehow corrupted, slightly broken or, you know, more than slightly broken soul uh, that needed to be redeemed. Whereas the rest of us in humanity, uh, we, we inherit this brokenness from our parents who inherited it from their brokenness. And we are born in a state of needing to be saved, of needing to be healed, of needing to be redeemed by God and Catholic teaching. And again, uh, the Orthodox church and the, and the Coptic church going way back to the early beginnings of Christianity have believed that Mary was saved preemptively by Jesus, still saved by Jesus and still saved by Jesus's life, death and passion, uh, passion, death and resurrection. But it was the fancy word is prevenient grace. His grace was applied retroactively. So uh, this is how a uh, famous Franciscan doctor of the church back in like the 1400s described it. His name was Duns Scotus. He would say, most of us are born fallen down this hole and we can't get out of the hole unless Jesus reaches down and pulls us out of the hole with Adam and Eve it was like they were born out of the hole, but then they fell into the hole and the rest of us have been in the hole except for Mary. God had her born outside of the hole and then was like, Hey, don't fall in the hole. So if someone's walking along and you go, Oh, don't fall in that hole. You've saved them. You've absolutely 100% saved them from falling in the hole, but you've saved them preemptively. And that's kind of how the grace of the Immaculate Conception is understood in the, in the Catholic and the Orthodox Church is it's this special privilege, this special miracle just reserved for Mary as the mother of God, that she would be 
preserved from sin. And there is some a biblical allusion to this, especially in Revelation 12, where it has this vision of the mother of the Messiah who is chased by the dragon, who is represented by Satan. And every time the dragon pursues her, God kind of plucks her away and protects her and puts her somewhere else. And the dragon comes and plucks her and puts her away and protects her from, from somewhere else. And so um, <clears throat> it's not like explicitly said, oh, and this is the Immaculate Conception, but that's that's kind of some some biblical allusions to this early Christian belief in the Immaculate conception. And so some people would say this line about that Jesus delivered her um, is denying that and that this was written by a Protestant. That's why it doesn't have respect for the Blessed Mother. Um, And so that's why it doesn't have that understanding of Mary. Now, here's my take. Probably right. Malk Lowry probably didn't believe in the Immaculate Conception. That's probably not what he was thinking. He was probably thinking what most Protestant non-Catholic Christians believe is that Mary was born in original sin, just like the rest of us, and was saved in the same way that the rest of us were. Uh, you know, she might be an extraordinary woman. The Bible talks about, you know, lots of cool things that she does, but she's not really special in any other case. Like Jesus is the only special one. However, I think there is a way to look at this that does kind of that does drive with Catholic teaching. All right. It's a little wibbly wobbly timey wimey. <laughs> Had Jesus saved Mary at the moment he was born? Well, yes and no. He had not done his ministry, passion, death, and resurrection. So in that way, he hadn't done the saving action which would provide the grace which saved her. But those graces had already been provided to her because God is the master of time and space. He can send those graces back in time. So it's, it's, it's a little, like I said, it's a little wibbly wobbly timey wimey. So you could say that, yeah, he soon will deliver you even though she's already been delivered. So I think looking at it through with the most benefit of the doubt, you could explain it in that way. All right, moving on. Did you know he will give sight to a blind man? Ah, probably not. She didn't know the specifics of his ministries uh, or of his, his miracles. Will he calm the storm with his hand? Again, she probably didn't know exactly what he was going to do. Had walked where angels trod. Now, this, again, is something people say, well, you know, she, the angel said, this is the son of God. So, yeah, she knew that he had been up in heaven and then he came down and was incarnate. Uh, but again, we have the benefit of two millennia of Christian thought and articulation about what it, what was Jesus? Oh, he was true God and true man. Oh, what's his relationship to the Father? Oh, we have this thing called the Trinity with the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and you know, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. Through Him, all things were made. That we say in the Nicene Creed when we go to church, or the Apostles' Creed, like all that stuff was articulated over like hundreds of years later. Did Mary know that Jesus like pre-existed from eternity with the father? Uh, and that's what was meant when Gabriel said son of God. Probably not. I'm going to guess. But again, did she know? I think it's a worthy question. <laughs> when you kiss your little baby, you kiss the face of God. Well, she knew he was the son of God. But again, did she understand what that meant? A lot of people didn't like Jesus calls himself the son of man. He calls himself the son of God. He calls himself the son of David. He gets called these things by all sorts of different people. And it's a big deal when Peter later on says, you know, you are the son of the blessed one, the Messiah. And Jesus is like, Hey, somebody finally got it. Like 
and even still, like you see the disciples wrestling with this is, is Jesus God? Like they arrive at that eventually at the end. So whether Mary understood that Jesus being the son of God was God, like co-eternal with the father, again, I think it's a valid question. Right, this next section, the blind will hear, the deaf will hear, the dead will live again, the lame will leap, the dumb will speak, the praises of the lamb. Uh, again, she probably didn't know the specifics of those things um, and what it meant. Because Gabriel said, oh, he's going to have the kingdom of, of his father, David. Like, that's all very messianic language. That's that's the Messiah was supposed to be from the line descended from David. Uh, they didn't really have a sense. They, they had a sense that the Messiah was going to lead all the nations, the Gentiles to worship God in some sense or be a light to the Gentiles. But we don't, they did, they weren't really expecting like, Hey, now we're going to become an evangelical religion where we're actually going on actively converting people. And that our God is no longer just the God of the Israelites. Remember all through the old Testament, if you've read the old Testament says, which when Moses is talking to the burning bush, and he says, oh, I'm, I'm God. He's like, well, well which God, right? You're, are you Anubis? I'm, I'm from Egypt. Are you Ra? Are you Osiris? He goes, no, I'm the, I'm the God of your forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like God was understood by the Israelites. Like, yeah, he was the powerful God over all the Lord of all creation, but he had chosen Israel specifically as their people. Like the Egyptians were not the chosen people of God. The Greeks, the Persians, the Babylonians, those weren't, that, that, those weren't God's people, even though he had created them. The Jews were God's people and Jesus comes and there's a new message that like, no, we're all brothers and sisters, right? Like the, and that was revolutionary at the time. Mary, did you know he's Lord of all creation? Again, she pro I would guess, uh, who knows? Did she understand that being son of God meant that <clears throat> he was going to rule all the nations? I think that's a valid question would rule all the nations was Lord of all creation is heaven's perfect lamb. Again, I think these are valid questions. The sleeping child you're holding is the great. I am. Did she understand that he was God in the same way that we do? I think that's a valid question. All right. So here is my conclusion. Mary knew that this kid was special. She knew Jesus was the Messiah. She knew she, she was told those things, but there was a lot Mary didn't know. And we see in several different places that Mary doesn't know what's going on. When Gabriel shows up, her first thing, her first response is a question. How can this be? When the shepherds visit her and Jesus in the manger. And they say, Oh, we saw these angels and we were abiding in the fields. We we're watching over our flocks by night. And they told us to come and see the Messiah. It says that everyone was amazed, but Mary, she kept these things in her heart and reflected on them. And then later on in the presentation, when they're presenting Jesus in the temple for his circumcision in Luke two, and the prophet Simeon and the prophetess Anna show up and tell that, tell her all these amazing things about Jesus. It says, again, Mary kept these things and reflected on them in her heart. Later on, I think this is in Luke, maybe this is in Luke 2, it might be Luke 3. When they, when Jesus is 12 or so, and they all take a family trip with a big old family caravan from Nazareth down to Jerusalem for the Passover. When they leave, they think Jesus is traveling with the family and they get like two days out. 
and they realize, shoot, we can't find Jesus. <laughs> we thought he was with the other family. So they go back to Jerusalem and they're searching all over Jerusalem. They can't find him anywhere. They find him in the temple talking to the temple priests. And what does he say? And I love this because the one story we get of Jesus as an adolescent and Mary, when they find him, Mary comes up and he's like, son, where have you been? We have been looking for you with great anxiety. <laughs> like the one story we have of Jesus as an adolescent. And it says that he caused his parents great anxiety. Um, I, I think that should give us some consolation for those of us who might have uh, teenagers. I don't, but someday uh, my kids will be that age, God willing. And again, it says that when, when, when Jesus responded and said, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know I would be in my father's house? It says again, Mary kept these things in her heart and reflected on them. It's a constant refrain throughout the gospel is Mary is showing us what it is to be faithful when you don't understand, when you do not know. And this is, and this is my conclusion. I promised you at the beginning of the episode that I would give you some things to apply to your own life and your own spiritual walk. Here's number one. Mary shows us that questioning and wondering is not doubt. And God can handle it. The, the fact that we can have such a discussion and such a, degree, a disagreement about this song, it means that this question, Mary, did you know, is a valid one. And we can question in doubt, like Zechariah, like Zechariah, um, her uncle, when the angel Gabriel says, hey, your old wife, Elizabeth, is going to have a child. And he's like, how can I be sure of this? Like, he's got this kind of going to have to prove this to me. We can question like that. Or we see like the Pharisees questioning Jesus. They're kind of obstinate. They're like, well, you know, who's, whose face is on this coin, Jesus, or, you know, in whose name are you casting out these demons? They're, they're kind of trying to catch him up. Or we could question like Herod, almost like a dare, like, hey, Jesus, show me your miracles. As, as it says in Jesus Christ, superstar, walk across my swimming pool, turn my water into wine. Those are all ways of questioning which are skeptical of God, are almost obstinate towards God, hard-hearted towards God. But Mary shows us a different way. Mary's question is a question of wonder. And when Gabriel answers, she says, you know, how can this be that I have not been with man? How can this be that I would be with child? And Gabriel answers, the power of the Most High will overshadow you and the Holy Spirit will dwell within you, something like that. I'm paraphrasing. And how does she respond? She says, let it be done to me according to your will or according to your word. And that, uh, that let it be uh, fiat is in, in Latin. It's called Mary's fiat. It's a great act of faith. Let it be done to me. Even though this is kind of scary and overwhelming. I'm this 13 year old Jewish girl from middle of nowhere, Nazareth. And I just have this angel coming to me and tell me I'm going to be pregnant before I'm married. And it's going to be the son of God. And he's like the Messiah, like, whoa, but let it be done to me according to your will. That is is what Mary shows us. Number two, take away from me. I think we've forgotten what knowledge of God is. Knowledge of God is, yeah, there are some things we know from scripture, from church teaching, from sacred tradition, but we often forget that many of the great saints of the church were mystics. They reveled in the mystery of God. And there's a great tradition in Christian theology of speculation, examination, yes, intellectual examination, but also intuition. And in and, and Christian mysticism, specifically Catholic mysticism and, and Orthodox mysticism, 
It uses our imagination and our hearts and our, our entire soul, including our intellect, to engage with God. And sometimes that takes a very mystical, mysterious approach. Mary, did you know? And those questions take us deeper into the mystery of God. They're Again, they're not obstinate doubt. Uh, St. Ignatius Loyola, who founded the Jesuits, is one of my favorite saints, and I love the way that he prayed. He's one of these great mystics, and he does these imaginative meditations on the gospel where you imagine if you were there at the cross, if you were there at Jesus' baptism, if you were there when that miracle happened. And I think it reminds us that theology isn't just about having the right answers, although there certainly are some right answers and some wrong answers, but Christian theology is all aimed at helping us draw closer to God. And for most of Christian history, our theologians were not just scholars working at universities. There were monks and priests and nuns and lay people who spent a lot of the day praying over these topics and trying to draw closer to God. It wasn't just an intellectual exercise for them. It was a matter of prayer and pouring their hearts out to God. And so I think when we hear a song like this and we think that it's doubting God, that might tell us something about our understanding of, of theology. Like it's okay to ask these questions and to, and, and to imagine what that might be like to be there with God, to ask these people who were there with Jesus, the answers to these questions. All right. Number three, takeaway. Mary having imperfect knowledge, I don't think is insulting to her. I think it's inspiring because again, she chose to do the faithful thing, even with imperfect knowledge. And I know I need that example. Like for Jesus, yeah, Jesus did is 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 our ultimate example, of course. And no one even comes close to Jesus. He is <clears throat> the archetype. He's he's amazing. Nobody even comes close. Even the holiest saints don't come close. But Jesus, even though he did hard things, at some point way in some point he knew like he knew when he went to the cross that he was resurrecting he knew he was going to raise up in 3 days and mary she didn't know what was going to happen and that's inspiring for me because sometimes i just want to know and so i can take inspiration from mary that even though she knew that she didn't know she knew that she wasn't going to understand it she was still able to reflect on these things in her heart draw close to the Lord. And so I think Mary really can show us the way in those moments when we're questioning, when we don't understand what's going on to uh, on with us. And we feel like the events of the world are way too big for us and we're too small. Keep it in my heart, reflect on it. That's the lesson that I learned from our blessed mother, Mary. It's what I love about Mary. And, and it doesn't take the place of Jesus. None of the saints, as much as we look up to them, they don't take the place of Jesus. They're like lenses that put the Christian life into perspective and into focus. What does it mean to be a Christ-like person? Because again, we're meant to be Christ-like, but we're also called to be saints. And the saints can show us, well, what does it mean to be a Christ-like young adult? We don't know. We don't have stories of Jesus as a young adult. What does it mean to be a Christ-like married person? We don't know. We don't have stories of uh, Jesus as a married person. What does it like to be a Christ-like woman or a Christ-like old person or a Christ-like person in 2023? We don't have stories of Jesus in those exact situations, but we do have saints. We have saints in every one of those situations. And so they help us put into focus what the Christian life looks like, what the Christ-like example is in those situations. 
Jesus, of course, is our perfect role model. He, he's the Michael Jordan, the LeBron James, and everything rolled into one. And if I'm a basketball player, of course, I'm going to look up to those people, but I'm also going to like look up to my team captain, right? And I might learn some things from them. It doesn't mean it takes away from the glory of Michael Jordan and LeBron James. And even, even more so, you know, Jesus is even higher above the saints than LeBron James or Michael Jordan is above your team captain as a, on a basketball team. But still, we can look to the saints who point us to Jesus and it doesn't get in the way any more than the lenses of your glasses get in the way of what you're looking at. They help to focus it. And so that's my gospel challenge for me walking away from this is even when things get tough, even when I don't understand, even when I don't know, I'm going to try to reflect on these things, keep them in my heart and bring them to God. Let's close in prayer in the name of the father, the son, the Holy spirit. Amen. Hail Mary full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. Jesus, Holy Mary, mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to God in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Listeners, thank you for going on this journey with me. Again, a little bit different of an episode than we normally do. If this isn't your cup of tea, I recommend you check out our other episodes. We got lots of stuff about all sorts of different types of music and different artists and different music, uh, different movies and different shows. I'm sure you'll find something you like. But thanks for pressing play today. Thanks for listening with us through the end. If you appreciated the show and uh, it's, some of it struck your heart or you've just learned something, I would really encourage you to send it to somebody. You know, Think of somebody oh, who could benefit from this and just send them a screenshot, send them the link and say, hey, I, I think you'd appreciate that. That's the best way you can help us to grow. It's how we've reached hundreds of thousands of people so far with this show. So thank you so much. And if this is like one of your favorite shows, if you love this podcast and it's just like, you press play every week or almost every week. Well, we come out every two weeks. So, but yeah, if you press play almost every time, I really would like to invite you to consider becoming a patron by going to popculturecatechism.com and choose one of six giving levels that supports me and my family, supports everything that goes on at Awaken Catholic. And also you get exclusive content. And I got plans for a lot of exclusive stuff for patrons in the new year. I want to give a special thank you to all our patrons, but especially Carl and Melissa Gore, Lisa and Bob Tenney, Stephen Maggie Hubbard, and Tom and Emily Comperiotti. So thank you for listening today. I uh, have a very Merry Christmas. I am so grateful for every single person that messages me, leaves a review, sends me something on Instagram or, or Twitter or Facebook or wherever you get in touch contact with me, YouTube, et cetera. I really appreciate all that. I appreciate all the love. We've had a great year. We've had a couple awesome episodes to start off season four. I can't wait to show you guys what we have in plan, uh, in store planned for 2024 and beyond. So Merry Christmas. Jesus is awesome. Jesus is born. Happy new year. I love you. Jesus loves you more. Take care. We'll see you next time.